0: Welcome back to Chatting to a Friend. I know, I know, it's been, as they say, a hot minute, but this year has just been so crazy. I don't know about you, but all the things put off from the COVID years uh, just all got rammed into this year and I just got a little behind and so I'm afraid the old podcast had to take a bit of a back seat. But we're back and it's a short season. Some of them were recorded quite some time ago, so apologies uh, to my amazing guests. Uh, I think you're really going to love these. One of them is very topical right now, uh, and the rest are just as sort of evergreen as you would hope. And I really hope you enjoy. It's a short season three, but season three it is. My guest today is the brilliantly entertaining and talented Jenny Graham, the current record holder, Guinness World Record holder for the fastest woman to cycle around the world. She did it in 124 days, 10 hours and 50 minutes from the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, all the way around the world and back again. And we discuss the ride, the book she's writing, how Adventure World actually got her to be sporty, how the naivety of being a young mum helped her make time for herself, how she was inspired, who she's inspired by, how she got over her imposter syndrome to achieve such an incredible thing and her future plans. It's just an exceptional chat. And if you can cope with two wildly excited Scottish women, then this is the conversation for you. Hi, Jenny. Thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm great, Katie. Thanks for having me. Excited to chat to you. My pleasure. I'm really excited to talk to you because I've followed your journey for a long time and we, we were just chatting and we found out we've got some personal connections, which we already knew anyway, but
1: it's just really, really nice to finally speak to you yeah that's it's so funny isn't it it's like the highlands of scotland uh, plus the outdoor world (laughs) you're just
0: going to have that connection i know well a friend of mine always says to me i think there are only about six people in scotland because you can never (laughs) like you just always like find somebody who knows somebody from that part of the world so so you're way up north and you're tell me you're writing a book is this about your round the world journey
1: Yes. So I'm up in Inverness, just outside Inverness, and yeah, I'm I'm sort of in the final throes of Round the World book. So yeah, a couple of weeks left and and that'll be off to the publishers. So yeah, it's been it's been a whole journey of its own, the book writing. You know, I think just because, you know, I enjoy I enjoy giving talks and I enjoy presenting things, but actually presenting it on paper it's a whole different skill set so it's been yeah huge learning curve and, and, and a real type two sort of journey mm. and I've often thought I wonder if I'd rather be riding still riding or sitting here <laughs> writing about it. <laughs>
0: well it was actually one of the questions I was going to ask because I've read you know obviously I've read all of Mark Beaumont's books uh, yeah. about you know his cycling adventures and I'm a massive adventure book reader and I always am absolutely staggered because as you say, writing a book is a completely different ball game to getting on a bike or rowing an ocean or whatever. And the the ability to sort of put it together without just going, and then I got up and then I cycled a bit more and then I
1: fell in a (laughs) pothole. And then, you know, that must be really hard. I know it's so true because actually you know when you when you look at it there's a lot if you're an endurance athlete then there is a lot of boring hours that you're mm. passing the time with not a lot going on in your head so it's it sort of um protecting the reader from that but giving <laughs> them a taste of it at the same time yeah it's it's when, when it's going well it's great it's fascinating I love it I love the process but I always underestimate the time that chapters are going to take and um, and and you relive it as well. That's mm. what I've been finding. You know, I'm going back, I kept a lot of audio diaries that I've transcribed or my, like my parents transcribed for me, uh, which must have been it, 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 so painful for them to have to listen to that. But um, yeah, I relive every single emotion that I was mm. going through at the time, assess it, sit with it and then pick out the parts that you're going to share. So It's not really. I have not found it straightforward. I've not found a straight sort of linear line to to write in this, despite it, you know, being a linear journey.
0: And I was just you you mentioned what I was going to ask you about reliving it. And has have there been any bits that you relived that you had forgotten about, or things that you didn't seem significant at the time but seemed seem so more so now or you know are there have you relived it in any way differently or does it just feel exactly the same
1: no that's such a good point there's so much in there that i've talked about <laughs> like really I, I don't even remember it when i hear myself <laughs> saying it i like can't quite believe that i met those people or that i <laughs> um you know like ha- something happened in that shop it's like oh i i can't remember that what i do remember is every place that i slept mm. so every everywhere i chose to sleep at night and um, which was often I, I spent about a third of the world indoors so to find shelter but the rest of it, it was out, like just looking for shelter out on the road. And that's the bits that I remember quite vividly when I get to them. And it, particularly towards the end of, of the world and my diaries, it's basically all I'm talking about. You know, it's <laughs> so it was like the most important part of the day. Almost, you know, I was like getting going and finding somewhere to sort of lay my head all those hours later. But yeah, um, I, 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 lots of it yeah you you relive it and um yeah there's that bits and then there's the there's almost the parts that because because I've given a lot of talks Mm. so I've given maybe a hundred round the world talks since I've come back and I've done lots of podcasts and you know I've told the story and you end up telling quite a similar story Mm. particularly in the talks because you know it's all Mm -hmm. set up and you almost forget the things that are out with the story that you've been telling for three years and there's some parts that I've held on to like oh that was a really bad decision you know or or that I've inwardly been giving myself a hard time about so out in in New Zealand for example I'd got really sick and I hadn't rushed to get the ferry and this had played on my mind for three years that I could have saved time there that that was a bad decision and then when I went back and you know I've been working through the diaries it's actually given me a chance to really process what happened out there where I was and actually be at peace with it a bit more Mm. Um, and all my decisions and accepting it and um, so yeah so the book the the book writing has given me that time to process and and let go of maybe some of the things that I was hanging on to unconsciously
0: yeah it's interesting you say that because I you know I've only ever done as much as write a race report after a big race or whatever and Mm -hmm. it's great it gives people a taste of what you've done and and you know you kind of got it down on paper but I completely understand to a point Mm -hmm. the part where you say you know and you just remember the bits that you talk about as opposed to thinking about those other things and and I think it's a shame It's certainly in certain elements and it's so amazing that you've got these diaries and these audio cues to make you think about them again because I was interested when you were saying about talking about the same thing over and over I've spoken to quite a few guests about sort of brand fatigue you know mm-hmm. oh my god I'm saying the same thing over and over and over again so do you think this will give you a fresh perspective when you maybe do talks again?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, I think when I built the talk, it was within weeks of coming back. I had my first um, talk booked in before I even left. So I I built it straight away. So I did pick the real highlights Mm. of it. You know, I feel like the bits I talk about are actually the engaging bits. But I think the processing, I guess, that I'll, I'll go into the talks with a whole different honesty perhaps Mm. of maybe the toughness of of actually what what was going on Mm. and the I I think I blocked out quite a lot the scary bits or the bits that I was feeling quite down and you know, I was really aware that there were. Well, at first, I was aware how privileged I was to be out there, so I did not want to go on the socials or be, you know, like phoning back with, you know, big concerns because, like, I was like, well, of course, it's going to be hard. You know, mm-hmm. I'm riding around the world, so I was really conscious of that. But also, I was conscious that people back here were worried about me. You know, I have my family. I've got a son, mm. my mom, my sister. I didn't want them hearing and and all my audio was going out to BBC and they were putting out podcasts every week on the radio. So I didn't want there to be that element of my mum listening to something and, you know, really worrying or my son. So I kept a lot, like I gave the, if it was tough, I tried to say it was tough, but then give a sort of solution that I'd come Mm. up with, whereas going back through the diaries and writing the book there's you, you can't hide like that mm. anymore it's like actually really coming face to face with what the real emotions were so yeah so it'll maybe have a bit more emotion
0: well I mean the irony is that you know good telly good books good everything depend on what's known as the dip don't they they yes. depend on the, the reader or the listener or the viewer going <gasps> yeah how are they gonna get out of that <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. and so you know i totally get wanting to protect your family but uh, at the same time you know i remember watching mark beaumont's first round the world i can't remember one one of the things he's done i remember going come on man you've got to show us how hard it is and then in the one (laughs) you know in the one where he falls in russia when he fell off and broke his tooth and and he just burst into tears and i was like
1: clearly i feel bad for you but Yes, that's what we need to see. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Oh, I mean there's always plenty of, of emotion. When, yeah. I, when I'm involved for sure, it's a roller coaster, but um yeah, but I guess just the when I listened to it back and it's maybe more powerful because it's my voice as Mm. opposed to writing. So I started trying to keep a diary when I was out there and I might have got a week in and it just lost the ability to be able to write, you know. Um, So my sister was on at me. She was like, you need to keep this for like audio every day. And thank goodness she did because I've got all that detail that I just wouldn't have had and all that emotion. And I hear myself, I hear myself speaking and I'm like, whoa. I, I often think, who is that? person <laughs> she's got you know if it's really cold now you know it's snowing today and I'm going out for a ride this afternoon and I'm already thinking like oh god it's going to be so cold and uh, at the same time I'm writing about you know riding through Alaska and it's absolutely Baltic mm-hmm. and I'm Sleeping in a ditch and getting up and going the next day. So yeah, there's a certain element that I uh, that I admire about that person who I was. No, who you ago. still are. Who you still are.
0: I'm interested you, you, to go back. You said right at the beginning that you remember all the places that you slept, and I'm wondering. Obviously, there was a that's a, a massive deal, especially as a woman on your own. Presumably, the heightened emotions of. I need to be sort of as hidden as possible, as safe as possible, as warm as possible, played on your mind sort of every single day. Were there times when you didn't feel any of those things safe or warm or protected or whatever?
1: That's a few good points. I'm not sure. You know, I've got a son, so I've got mm-hmm. a grown up son and when I was riding, like I had a lot of comments about being a, being a solo woman being out there and, mm. and this thing about you know being safe, finding safety and the countries that I was riding through I, I honestly thought I'd give the same advice to my son mm. as I w- that I was doing for myself mm-hmm. so I'm not necess- I'm not sure it was because I was a female out there that I had to think about that I think any lone traveler would but I yeah the first couple of nights in every continent, I didn't feel safe or I didn't feel at one with the place, because you you're still getting used to the culture to the wildlife you know like arriving in Alaska and now there's grizzly bears and you're sleeping out at the picnic bench (laughs) it's like quite a lot to get your head around and then uh, yeah not being sure if you'll be you know going through Asia the like people were up so early so often i'd just be going to bed at like three in the morning and they're up at four or five working in the field so and and you know the thought of being woken up with somebody looking down at you it's like terrified isn't (laughs) it so uh, yeah so i I would take a few days to get used to whatever continent i I was on but then then you're just so exhausted Mm. and you find safety and comfort in the strangest of places such as um Such as uh, pipes that mm-hmm. are under the road, laid under the road, that you can sort of wheel your bike into, and you know, um, often I'd be looking out at the stars, just thinking, wow, you know, I would, I couldn't pay enough money to be this happy <laughs> um, for somewhere to stay, and and just anywhere when you found shelter, like coming down the Yukon, the the bears, it was quite exhausted out there, and so the bear situation was really really plain on me so I would find these public toilets um, that were like scattered all down the Yukon and they just had a concrete floor and a long drop but they had a door that I could close Mm. and it was it was definitely wasn't the comfiest most definitely wasn't the warmest but the fact that I could close that door just Mm. gave me this like full sense of relief that I could yeah close my eyes Yeah. Oh gosh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exciting, (laughs) exhausting and uh, all the things. And so you mentioned that you have a son there. Now that I have to admit that that's not something I knew about uh, Uh at the time. And you were a very young mum. Uh, Yeah. Could I assume that you didn't intend to be a young mum?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, as dad and I definitely didn't plan on, on having Lachman so young, but we were, yeah, we were just madly in love and, and we're delighted when, you know, when it came about. Mm. And and I think there's something about the ignorance of youth mm-hmm. that just, you just get on with it. You know, I see my friends, I was 18 when I had Lachlan, and I see my friends now, you know, around 40 <clears throat> having kids and this struggle. And I'm <laughs> just like, don't remember any of that, and I don't know if it's because <laughs> there's so much time that's passed, or is there just something about your mindset when you're, you know, in your early twenties or late teens, early twenties that you just accept things and you've not had time to establish a comfortable life. Mm. You know, you're just sort of finding your way in adulthood. So, yeah, it was it was fantastic.
0: And I was just thinking, I did I read somewhere that said that you sort of, you almost kind of grew up together you
1: and your wee boy. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like that because you know I didn't have I didn't have this interest and passion in the outdoors that I have now before I had Lachlan. I uh, I was probably yeah, I I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life and there's something about your time being restricted Mm. that you start really honing in on actually what it is that you want to do. You know, that thing of like, if you've got all the time in the world, it's so easy to waste it. But then almost having Lachlan and only having little chunks of time made me, it gave me something to fight against maybe mm-hmm. and sort of drive forward with and um, so when he went to um, nursery that's when you know I started looking looking out for actually w- what it was that I wanted to do and spend my time doing find the outdoors and then any opportunity you know any club that he was at any birthday party any anything you know the <laughs> lessons that I I, that I didn't need to go along for I'd use that time to nip out and and you know get a bike ride in or practice navigation or or whatever it was and I just found yeah I I, I found that I I was finding my way as he was yes as as he was sort of finding his and coming up through school. I find
0: that so interesting because I was uh, a mum like you're talking about your friends like I was 35 when I had my first baby and Uh I was completely floored by the whole experience (laughs) and I have spoken to so many mums like you that not necessarily had their babies young but that understood that that time when you didn't have your kids is so so precious yeah and I think I you know you can only regret so much or not bother regretting at all but it's I just always think what a shame that I didn't do that I guess in in what in so many ways and I love that you figured that out quite young I think that's really impressive
1: Oh, yeah, I'm not sure. It it wasn't. It it, it was probably quite a selfish act, really, isn't it? It was, you know, I see um, I admire parents that maybe don't have that same drive as I did to search out that sort of meaningful experiences for themselves. And it all goes into their their kids' So yeah, it, it, I guess like you, you've got regrets about being, you know, being that way. Whereas I could look at, I could look at my own the own way that I brought up Lachlan and have maybe some regrets that maybe I, you know, did I push that too far? Should I have, should I have been at home a little bit more, or should I have, um, yeah. I mean I think as parents you just regret things you see that there's other ways to do it and, and you judge the way that you chose don't you <laughs> yeah exactly and you just yeah. we're just all doing our best <laughs> yes yeah. exactly yeah. yeah and good enough is okay isn't it yeah exactly
0: but what I find what, what is so extraordinary is that you know at 37 I think you were 37 were you when you set off 38 38, 38, yeah. 38 yeah and that's extraordinary because that's a little bit I feel like my mum my mum was quite young when she had me and I was huh? I was the driver at my mum's 40th you know like so really yeah and you know you so you kind of maybe look at it the other way like I had 20 years of being an adult before I had it well not quite 20 before I had a kid yeah and so yeah you can you, you can only do it the way you do it sorry slightly waffling yeah. but I find it extraordinary you you know you've done your thing you'd found your passion you've brought up this lovely boy and then suddenly you're
1: like right I'm ready I'm off <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so true isn't it and it, and for me that was perfect because like I say I didn't have that ambition when I was when I was younger no. I didn't I didn't know about the outdoors and I I wasn't sporty like I and I didn't I never found a sport that I could really own and feel it was mine I loved skiing I got to ski when I was six. Uh, oh no I must have been 14 and went off on a like two-day ski trip to the left mm-hmm. which I'm sure you know well mm-hmm. and Honestly, I mean, I didn't know about the Alps and stuff like that. And we, uh, me and my friends were like, we were beginners, but we could do it. Like we could naturally stand up when everyone else was like away falling in ditches and stuff. <laughs> so we joined on the afternoon. We got really cocky and joined on to the, you know, experience group. Like the Ooh. leader didn't even notice that we were there. And we went up in the lift and... Topping out over the left, I will never forget. It's like somebody's first experience in the Alps, where you just see mountains after mountains, and that was the effect it had on us. We were just like, "Whoa!" Like, you know, we didn't even know there was places like this. And you know, I can't believe we made it down the mountain because all of a <laughs> sudden we were awful because we were going down <laughs> something steeper. It really stuck with me, but. But still, I didn't know, you know, that wasn't anything that I knew how to tap into. That was mm. a two-day experience with school. Nobody I knew skied. My family didn't ski. I always just thought it was for, for other people. Like, mm. I had no idea how to find it for myself. So <clears throat> that's that I really, really, really enjoyed as a kid. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't know how earth it could be possible for me. So um, how did I get onto that? Now I'm waffling. Yeah, and I, I and I guess so when um, Lachlan went to nursery, and then I found a way to to tap into that sort of stuff. Then yeah, how did you? What was the catalyst? There was a course at Inverness College, so there was a I had a really cool little um, thing in the paper, advert in the paper, and it basically said, you know, do you enjoy like running up hills, jumping in rivers, you know, being adventurous? And I'd been in the army cadets when mm. I was when I was younger, and this just sparked something. I was like, oh, yeah, we used to do all of that stuff. Mm. That's not a sport, though. Like, I didn't think that was a sport. Um, So I I was like, oh, yeah, I might apply for that. And my mum was visiting at the time, and she was like, you know, she was obviously just maybe either sick of me or uh, really worried that I didn't you know didn't like what was going to happen to me and Mm. where was my you know, what was I going to do and would I find my passion and she was like well maybe you should just apply now as she walked out the door you know the way mums do that and says that reluctantly all right then and yeah phoned them and then like went for an interview and then within Within two months, we were out in the Alps skiing and seeing what real mountains were and learning to snowboard. And it was just fantastic. It was, you know, it was only a six month course, but it just completely turned my life on its head.
0: It's so interesting you say that because the whole sport versus adventure thing is kind of how I like I see my life. I I hated sport as a kid. I hated it. But I I could also ski and ride a horse. And people say, well, that's sport. And I say, well, yeah, but that's not what I think of as sport. Like sport is hockey or netball or like running around getting sweaty, which I just hated, hated with a passion. And I, and, but then people, you know, when you dig a bit deeper, like you, I had a really adventurous childhood. Like climbing trees, building dens, you know, going, not so much camping, but, you know, just kind of like, sleeping in the woods or kind of down by the river and people say well you did have a sporty childhood but I still have never been able to reconcile the two but it's so interesting because that is sport that is activity it's just not you know with rules and regulations and I think I think you've got that in your blood if you can tap into it it can be so powerful
1: yeah exactly it's exactly that isn't it you know I always say you know I didn't have a sporty family and I don't but adventurous country people you know they're Mm. from the highlands and from out in the country so going and building dens and having fires and camping out and uh, like you say climbing trees swimming in locks that Mm -hmm. was like I was brought up on that stuff but it was never what I considered to be sport, no. and isn't it funny? But I guess you just—it's just what you see, isn't it? So mm-hmm. in school, you don't see it, and if you've not got friends like families that are uh, that are a way out, sort of doing adventurous sports, then how how do you know that's that like that that can be? a hobby or a passion or or whatever you just don't do you?
0: And and so this is something that you are quite passionate about if I understand correctly with the adventure syndicate getting people involved in sport, adventure, doing stuff that they may not normally have access to. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. So yes, I worked with the Adventure Syndicate for uh, over 3 years and you know even now I'm I'm not with them full time anymore but I still absolutely believe in what they're doing and their drive and it's that thing I guess of of I guess it's that thing that if unless you're seeing people like mm. you doing these things then it's very difficult to imagine yourself doing it isn't it and that's definitely what I what I struggled with most for going around the world mm. it was that it was like the build-up to it And questioning whether I was—it's just imposter syndrome, isn't it? It's like. Am I that person? Because everyone I see doing this has got a different background, has got a different story, it's got a different status. As a man. Um, <sighs>
0: as a man. <laughs> <as> a man.
1: <laughs> yeah. And even the women, you know, I'd go along to talks at the local theatre of women adventures and i sit there, like, glaring, like, please have a story like mine. Mm. And nobody did. Yeah. Um, and, and, it's and obviously now I'm well, you know, I'm well into the um, outdoor scene and adventure scene. I see that of course there's stories like mine. I just couldn't I just didn't hear them. So I think the Adventure Syndicate do a great job of letting or you know, of trying to let people hear that, let young children, let, let young girls hear that this is possible for them mm. and and start maybe earlier than I did mm. to sort of questioning that of you know what's what is possible for me where are my boundaries you know what could I achieve yeah
0: yeah and it's so interesting because I I work in a I work in sport and you know you're talking about girls and young women and I just you know nearly all the women I speak to who are involved in sport or you know the outdoor space there's Uh that, that whole that it's almost a desperate desire for young girls and women to hang you know to you know starting with sports or adventure or doing stuff when they're young is fine but then that crucial age in their teens where it's just it's whatever it is that stops them going any further and there's everybody's got theories and everybody's got plans and this but it's just oh it's this continual frustration you know for example in ski mountaineering which is my main sport that I commentate on Mm -hmm. you know the amount of men is double the amount of women right okay and it's so
1: hard to, to, you know, to get a grip on why, yeah, it is, isn't it? And uh, you're right. There's so many theories, and we've looked into a, a lot in different jobs that I've done over over the years. And I can't say that I've I've got the answer. But I think when you look at how impressionable you know children are, not mm. just girls, um, at you know at that age, and so many hormones, so many changes going on for them. And then you look at our media mm. and what our media and what society is telling girls. And it doesn't have to be blatant. It is just entrenched. You know, we we are there to look attractive and to be pretty and to be sweet. And if you break down like the newspapers, if you break down articles, I mean, you'll know this, mm. Kate, but it's and 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 parents say it. You know, you hear parents calling kids tomboys if they're a sporty girl. It's that's so damaging. And you know, it's these little subtleties that we don't even realize that we're doing. And I just think that it's quite a hard battle for a fourteen year old girl to fight through that Mm. and to still take off all that desires to be popular and to fit in and to have friends and you know all the things that are really really important when you're that age so yeah I I think there's stuff that that we should be doing and that we could be doing to make that like a little bit of an easier like easier for them to keep going and for it not to mean that they're a tomboy and um you know that it's a bit unladylike weird thinking, and unladylike, <sighs> even the term lady I know. <laughs> oh, it just makes me cringe <laughs> like you just don't go about calling men gentlemen no. why are we <laughs> Why are we putting that onto onto our young women and calling them ladies? Like, oh, no. I know. (laughs) Away, (laughs) away.
0: (laughs) And so um, when you were getting ready to go around the world and you were looking at the likes of Juliana Buring and, oh, I can't remember the, Italian woman.
1: Oh, Paola. Yes.
0: yes. And her controversial, you know, she got oh. the record, but she had a little four-month break with a broken something or other. Um, yes. How did you feel? Like, you were talking about people don't have the same stories or you have the imposter syndrome. How did you feel when you looked at there? because Juliana Boering is one of those people that everyone looks at and goes, oh, my God, like, I could never wow. be her. Like, she's just yeah. like, hello.
1: <laughs> I <laughs> –
0: how did you like
1: get over that so to be quite blunt? <laughs> I think you know you're saying that you don't hear people with with your story, but actually Juliana, Oof. although I've not got a story of anything like hers, she is definitely one of those women that you can look at or people, just a person in the world that's just come over oh like fought through so much to get where she is mm. and to you know tell her story. So, so just so, um, for anyone
0: listening she was brought up in a cult is that right?
1: Yeah yes. that's right yeah I, in um, Greece I forget what it's called now and um, she's done some fantastic podcasts and she's got books about it as well and she, you know she fought for the for the cult to be um, taken down didn't she? Mm, yeah extraordinary story. And she lost her partner who she was you know, madly in love with. And she wasn't a cyclist. And her friend had asked her to cycle across the continent, maybe, uh-huh. maybe across America. And she was like, nah, I mean, if I'm going to cycle, I'm just going to cycle around the world. <laughs> and so she literally, she, you know, she talks about it as if it was almost a bit of a suicide mission. Like she didn't really care maybe when she set out, if she came back. But, you know, because she was just so distraught and, mm-hmm. and heartbroken, devastated. So she, her story of getting on a bike and starting to ride around the world, it's just, it's insane. It's huge, hugely, hugely inspiring. And um, so, yeah, but obviously, yeah, I mean, you're putting yourself. It, you know, you look up to people um, like Juliana, like Mark, you know, mm-hmm. it was a big, um, I read Mark's, uh, round Mark Beaumont's Round the World book, his first one. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was the first book that got me into bike touring. I oh, read wow. about him being in Roma- Romania and I was just like, wow. And at the time when did that come out 2010 so Lachlan was on oh, maybe earlier than that was it I remember Lachlan being really young or fairly young and the thought of me riding around the world was just a like distant dream mm. There was no way I could imagine it properly then but I remember it planted some seeds and I thought oh I'm, I'm going to keep this book and use it for you know touring or where I want to like use it as a bit of a guide and yeah then I went off to Romania um, with a friend a few years later and it was I went back and read that chapter in the book or it wasn't even a chapter it was like a page on Romania Mm -hmm. that he'd written and it was like it was nice he had a nice time but I'm like what sparked that for me there was something about the time that I read it and his words and his experiences that just made it all come together Mm. but then when I went back and read it I was like oh I'm not sure what what part it was that inspired me so much about it. it was fascinating yeah just being in the right in the right place well it's funny it. you should mention that because I interviewed uh
0: last year a woman called Annabelle Abbs I don't know if you've come across her but she's a big walker and she's written yes. this amazing book called Windswept about female walkers through the years oh and yeah it's sort of it's written in parallel with her own life Uh And a lot of what she says is what you were just saying is that when she was a a mom with, she had four young kids, she's like washing her dishes at the sink and looking out the window going, Oh my God, what am I doing here? And, you know, so reading these walking books, mostly by men at the time, she says, they just sparked this, like, this could be my life, you know? So, and it's amazing. And it's so, oh, I, cannot recommend it enough. It's such a beautiful book. What's it called? It's called Windswept. Windswept okay, by I'll Annabelle Abs. And she chases this, the journeys of Simone de Beauvoir, Georgia O'Keefe, and a few others that I hadn't heard of before I read the book. Like she goes and retraces their steps and she she is so beautifully written about the different stages of her life. So when she was a young mum, when she was a about to be an empty nester how was she going to feel about not being a mum a full-time mum anymore yes. and, and so and how these different women's journeys and how reading these books sparked different you know she forced herself to go and walk through a woods through the night because she wanted to face down fears of not just that but where her life was going without oh it's just so good so like you're saying whatever your life was at that time, when you read Mark's book, it probably yes. wasn't
1: exactly the same by the time you went and looked at it again. That's kind exactly, of my point. Exactly, exactly. was exactly it. But that, it sparked, it really, really sparked something. And it sparked a, a curiosity for a place, mm. like a far off place that I'd, you know, not been to or hadn't imagined been to. And traveling through it by bike. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? And when... I so I sorry, was the reason I was one of the points I wanted to come back to as well that you
0: said earlier was that writing the book you didn't know whether you would rather be back on the bike or <laughs> ploughing through writing the book <laughs> and one of the questions that I always like to know is what's the difference in difficulty between the prep stage like so the before and the actually riding away from the start line because again I remember Mark leaving from Paris. And by the time we mm. got to Belgium, it, like two days later, he was just absolutely, like, I think even like half an hour later, he was
1: absolutely broken just yeah. from the sheer tension of the lead up. Oh my God. It is crazy. I was working full time. I, you know, I was a mum, like the, was training, you know, over, I don't know, like 25 hours a week, trying to organise the whole trip. And then also just like fighting this battle of whether I was good enough or whether, Mm. not even if I was a good enough cyclist, but just like a good enough person. Just, you know, I thought every almost every day before I left, I thought about not going, I thought about (laughs) quitting. And when I passed that start line, I never once thought about quitting. It ah. never, it never, ever came into my mind. I'd done it. I'd got to the start line. And I always say that was the hardest part in the whole world. That was the hardest part to get to. It was huge. And when I passed over that, you know, I started in the at the Brandenburg mm-hmm. gates in Berlin and there was like a handful of people there in the morning that I set off and I did this U-turn and cycled past them all. And, you know, we were all cheering and I gave out a whoop. And I am not kidding, Katie. I just felt the rush of endorphins. It started at my toes and came (sighs) all the way up through my body it was just this like release it was like it like actually came out of my head it was just unbelievable I could feel my face physically going bright red with it with the energy of it it was like I'd done it Uh it didn't matter what happened (laughs) I'd actually done it I'd got to the start line and I was setting off so yeah it was it was huge it was a huge stress to, to get there and it's just saying, because
0: it, it's like, you know, you read all these same as ocean roars and people that do these huge things. There's there's a difference between those that just sort of sign up and turn up and yes. the ones that, you know, the whole prep is part of the journey. Like you can't distinguish
1: between yes. the, the actual doing of it and the prep. Yes. And even the aftermath as well. So, you, you know, the reality is I spent four months riding it. I'd spent a year in the preparation mm. probably a, like a year in the conscious preparation but obviously you're preparing throughout your life and then the aftermath of processing it and what it's done to your life and how it's changed you as a person and you know everything it's just huge well that's and still going me, on by the sounds of things still going on yeah because I'm such a slow writer <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. funny. and how has it changed you as a person? I think um, that belief that, you know, or, or maybe, you know, opening your eyes to that taking risks and taking chances and the capability that we have within us. You know, I see, I just see that now. And I think I saw that before. I've, you know, I'm quite a a positive Generally, sort of positive person and believe that we can you know always aim too high and I'm rarely sort of worried about failing failing if I don't reach it so I've got that sort of naturally but this has almost given me some clout to believe that then Mm. or to fall back on and and to sort of look at I think the you know some of the places that I went through it was very humbling and it's given me yeah just that I guess it made me question my wealth as being a western white Mm -hmm. woman Mm -hmm. you know not taking any monetary wealth into it but just the choices that I have in life and the ability to be off here on the bike and yeah I mean that that's quite a battle isn't it because Mm. you're being you know People are calling you a hero out there and they're, you know, they're like, you've got all these positive, encouraging messages coming through. And then you're watching people with real battles through their life, like horrific battles that they have to face every single day. And no one's telling them they're doing a good job and, you know, to to keep on fighting. And I would wake up every day. There wasn't a day I woke up and I didn't have messages like that coming in. Just just makes you think of it doesn't it you know
0: so it does it really does and it makes me think of um, interviewed Laura Penhall who I'm sure you know Oh yes yeah and you know one of the reasons she wanted to do her big ocean row was because she worked with uh, the Paralympians the British Uh Paralympic team and she wanted to put herself in a position where she was facing adversity where she Uh faced something but even then she said I knew I had the opportunity to step off the boat and go back to my life, my privileged life. Yes, exactly. It really makes you think, and I've worked in places where I have realized the utter privilege of being born where I was born Mm -hmm. with the skin color I have and all the things that you just, you don't, I don't think you know until you go and travel and see and push yourself necessarily you don't necessarily need to push yourself but it's it is an extraordinary privilege
1: yeah it is and that thing I mean I think that's one of the things that you know the mindset out there of what suffering is and so there is a narrative there's a you know there's a narrative with adventures isn't there you know that it has to be suffering and it you know you're (laughs) coming through all these like horrific moments and I don't like, I often say this, I don't think I'm very good at suffering. If I'm mentally suffering, I go on a real downward spiral. Mm. But having passed through Asia at the start of the trip, when I was maybe like physically sort of suffering from things, mentally, I was still aware that this was a choice and that, you know, this was a, this was a privilege and, 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 and so then it, it wasn't so much as a suffer a suffering as, a, you know, a choice that you were doing it. So it's sort of like fl- flipping on, the, on its head really works for me.
0: And did you, you know, you were saying earlier, right at the beginning, you said that, you know, in the hours and hours and hours that you were on your own, simply turning the pedals. I mean, presumably yeah. for you, like Mark did on his first one, you had to find food and water and somewhere to sleep. So there's always sort of a, a process that you have to be conscious of. Yeah. Do, are there times when you just think,
1: what was I thinking about for the last six hours? Like oh, yeah. What happened? Where
0: did I go? Where
1: was I? Definitely. It's so funny. Some days, like hundreds and hundreds of miles, thousands of miles pass and you are just in utter contentment. Like you're not sure what you know I you know I can you know I know some of the stuff I was thinking about because I've I've taken my diaries but you know the hours just pass and it's it's lovely and then other miles every single pedal stroke (laughs) every pedal stroke is a conscious effort Mm. and it's funny how it slips in between the two yeah just weaves weaves between the two i I'd forgotten what you asked there. What and no, I was just asking.
0: You'd have answered it. It was just really about the whole, you know, the meditative state of getting into that. Because you know, I so few of us have ever been on a on a, on a journey the length of yours where you are pushing yeah. yourself mentally and physically that it's hard to imagine how it must feel.
1: Yeah, I think you know. I thought about it because so i I had Mark's GPS files from his round the world. Mm. And so I was using it because I was so worried that I wasn't going to be able to collect all the data for Guinness, you know, because that's not my strong point that attention <laughs> to detail. So I, um, I had all, I was noting down how many of Mark's legs I was passing, like on, you know, I would say it, I say it in my audio diaries. And so it was just like another way of checking it off. And I thought about, you know, the length of the days, his days were much longer than mm. mine and um, the miles that he was doing, except for one day went in the prairies where I had a tailwind and he had a massive headwind (laughs) and I managed to match him I was so pleased but anyway um I thought about how I had all this stuff to think about so I had to find food I had to find shelter I had to fix my bike I had to you know maybe find out what the weather was doing or like just all these things to keep my mind busy and I was grateful for them I was really really grateful for them I would meet people I would chat to them I had you know it, it would fill my mind for hours at a time mm. and Mark didn't have that like Mark literally just had to stay you know I, I've listened to his 80-day um, book and speaking to him that level of focus is completely different I mean it's focus yeah, it's it's focus but it's it's so so different that f- working in that four-hour block and
0: what's funny is that he'd done it the way that you did it originally yes. and on, on many other trips and i, I the, you know the ability to switch from being an unsupported to a supported athlete in many ways everyone oh how great you can go you know had your meals fit, oh, fit God, and their roots God. planned and your overnight but that as you say that's if that's all you have to think about there's like a
1: whole different world surely there as you it saw. is and then you have to go harder don't you yeah like you're going you know you're going harder because I spent a lot of time staring at my feet in cafes <laughs> 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 and you know the, just like Mark didn't have that luxury uh-huh. of, of doing that, sure he was getting a massage at the side of the road, <laughs> that he couldn't sit and stare at his feet, and sitting staring at your feet can yeah very satisfying if you're in the right state. So yeah, it's fascinating. I'm not. I'm. I mean, I it's not something I could do. I don't think uh, that sort of switch to being that supported and. Having that drive like that, yeah, it's it's fascinating. But talking
0: of what you know, what you could do, what anything that you're planning next, what that you can share,
1: apart from finishing the
0: flipping book, (laughs) finishing the
1: book. (laughs) yeah finishing the book and yeah so i've got lots of yeah like everyone probably just looking forward to you know riding in different places this year and yeah getting out getting out of the highlands so um yeah i've got a few trips of my own planned that are just to remind me that I can still go off and tour and get the same mm. amazing feeling from it and um I'm also like race wise I'm going to be doing the transcontinental this year are you yeah I am fun so It's not so tra- fun <laughs> fun it'll be so fun oh my god the checkpoints look amazing so that's four or five checkpoints across europe from belgium to bulgaria Mm -hmm. and it you know it takes you across the alps takes you into romania it's just fascinating really gorgeous and so i'll be doing that you pick your own route it'll be about four thousand kilometers and this year the really exciting part for me is i've you know i've been going to race this for three this is the third year now so i wanted to switch it up, I find it really hard to be motivated for something for three years that keeps getting cancelled. So I've roped my friend Philip Abati, who's also an endurance rider, into doing it as a pair. Oh, a female, a competitive female pair. So we both know that we can do the distance mm. and that we can, you know, race it competitively. But what we don't know is if we can keep it together to work in a pair when we're in that exhausted sort of state if we can yeah if if we can work as a a team essentially and and be placed well so that's the next adventure that is very exciting and when is that summer it's in summer yeah end of july oof hot as well then yeah (laughs) just to add into the mix (laughs) which right now sitting looking out the window I've got my hot water bottle on my knee and (laughs) (laughs) it's snowing so the thought of riding in the sunshine for a couple of weeks sounds perfect
0: oh and because famously is this the race that um oh I can't remember her name the woman won it by just yes being a bit... Fiona. that's right she Fiona was marking Colbinger. she was marking um laura's first guest i think on their yes. podcast endurance yes and that's she won right. it overall and there was the whole theory of just being a bit smarter because she knew yeah. potentially she wasn't as strong as the men so she went about it with a different strategy
1: so I'm not sure what her tact was. I didn't, like, as far as I know, she. I mean, she was riding over 400 kilometres a day. So she was just amazingly strong but together she's organized she's so organized you know and she didn't burst herself in the first few days which I think is so easy to do um, and maybe just sort of had a plan and stuck to it but her whole attitude (laughs) throughout it if you watch any of the footage it is so funny so you know there's people in a real mess because it's really hard yeah. like you get yourself dig yourself into a hole and if you want to get the checkpoints and she's like playing the piano and- <laughs> <laughs> I mean like having great chat and just having the ride of her life she's just having a ball and I love that uh, it's that same thing isn't it about breaking that that same old suffering sort of story that adventurers seem to have to tell you know yeah. it's like well yeah it's suffering but we love it
0: yeah exactly well it's it's, so it's like it's sort of changing the narrative from the grizzly yes. you know m- m- male I mean I've said this a few times on the podcast the sort of white m- grizzly bearded yeah. man kind of yeah you know because it was their type yes. narrative to do you know what we choose to do this and we do it because we love it. And yes, sometimes I'm going to cry because it's so hard, but actually it is a great privilege and it's, it's just bloody brilliant.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's
0: so refreshing, isn't it? It's lovely. And I do think in my experience, and it's difficult, you know, when you are in the sort of in or around the world of adventure and outdoor to to kind of see it a bit more objectively but I do think that the addition of different kinds of people more women more people of color more just sort of adding in that extra dynamic to it all just think you know it's easier to change the 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 narrative a little bit does that does that sound right
1: it does and i think the i think it's long overdue and it's coming at way too slow a pace mm-hmm. still we are we are there is progress being made and people are talking about it and you know i think brands are perhaps more aware of it and there's more pressure put on them and there's a lot more i mean you know i i i've got exactly the same view as you and the sort of um, white middle class male telling narrative telling the story but it's not to you know, it's not putting them down. That no. was their opportunities, and they were there, and and they took them, and that's fantastic. And it's inspired a whole generation upon generation of people mm-hmm. um, uh, to do that. But then now they've got a responsibility to put the pressure on to make sure it's more diverse. And I think mm. that's happening slowly. There's some men out there that are doing a very good job of that. Um, you know, of of getting on board with that story. And that's what it'll take. It's it's not a sort of us against them. It's everyone in it together and and sort of driving for equality. So yeah. 100 percent Yep. Excellent. Well thank you
0: so much for joining me. It's just been oh such an absolute pleasure. I love having a good old tin wag. I'm, I'm pretty sure my, my story weaving throughout the thing has gone from, oh, oh, what about this? To, oh, oh, and tell me about that. So, you know, apologies to anyone listening for my like inability to like hold on to a thread. Just...
1: <laughs> not at all, not at all, Katie. It's been lovely. And I just wanted to know I
0: don't know if you remember me asking whether you had a challenge, Katie, or not. Does that ring a bell? No, oh, I don't think so. so. Well, oh, maybe. <gasps> uh, don't worry, don't worry. It's fine if you don't, because I'm a little bit backlogged, to be quite honest. Uh, but uh, no, Tell me. Tell me what Challenge kit is. It's basically as simple as it sounds. I ask my guests to give me a challenge. It doesn't even have to be based on their thing that I'm interviewing them about. And I've had everything from cycling challenges to paragliding to writing down my goals for the next five years to going camping by myself for a night. All mm. sorts of amazing, incredible, read this book, do this, walk and go walking at night by yourself. So, just something that I could do that's pr- preferably not going to take me 6 months. But
1: <laughs> okay. I am going to challenge you to come on an overnight bike packing trip with me. <laughs> oh my god, I would so like let's do that like, <sighs> do that. I'm going to be in the Alps this summer so I'll
0: totally oh I would absolutely you love that because I'm sort of already thinking that my next bike is one that can carry a bunch of cool panniers what? I'm just like I, I rented some on to do it some e-biking in the summer last year and I just was I loved it I loved oh, it so amazing. yes challenge Great. accepted Excellent, we'll make that happen. <laughs> I might make you carry some extra weights, but you know, yeah. <laughs> slow you down a wee bit. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, I love it. Brilliant. Cool. Great. That sounds perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. All the very best of the book. Um, do you have any clue about when it
1: might be out? Yes, it's going to be published at the beginning of next year. So, around sometime, sometime around Christmas, either just before it or just after it. And a title? yeah so <laughs> coffee first and then the world oh wow i love it yeah. Ah. Yeah. it sums up that sitting in a cafe for three coffees, staring at my feet before i get riding in the morning sort of attitude that i had
0: oh uh, brilliant oh jenny thank you so much and best of luck with the book and i look forward to our bikepacking adventure in the yes, summer that'll be great
1: katie thanks for having me take care bye bye Thanks for
0: listening. I really hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back next week with some more great chat with another amazing woman. Bye-bye.